0: July 17th, 1999, was a day where the newspapers were covered with the story of the death of John F. Kennedy Jr., who had been flying in his small single engine plane from New Jersey to Martha's Vineyard, an island, small island in Massachusetts. Uh, John F. Kennedy Jr., he had uh, had about 310 hours of flight time but only half of a class to be able to read the instruments the panels on the airplane and uh, he had flown some at night but it's rather tricky when the weather does not cooperate and it was a foggy night and um, the shoreline was obscured and there was no moon that could be seen And the motion of the plane uh, was deceptive. And of course we read in the paper that day that that night he had crashed. We don't know exactly what had happened. But it appeared that he did not or was not able to trust his instrument panel. But instead trusted his own senses where he was. And that ended up sending him into a graveyard spiral and crash. As a matter of fact, an investigation was done. And it showed from the radar that the plane was right on course to be able to land. That it was heading for the airstrip. Just 20 miles out, the plane began making turns away from the airstrip. Which shows he must have been disoriented. And the plane ended up crashing in the Atlantic Ocean 16 miles from Martha's Vineyard. (laughs) We don't know exactly what happened. But his disorientation, in that disorientation, there was an autopilot that for whatever reason did not get flipped on and was not used. Evidently, in the panic and the confusion, there ended up being a crash. As we come to Psalm 56, David is in a deadly place. Very difficult to trust his emotions. Very difficult to have any kind of instrument panel to follow in this particular situation. Notice that uh, before the very psalm, which I didn't read, we have our little excerpt here. First of all, it says this is for the director of music. In other words, he's saying to the one who leads the music, the choral director, Keep this song close. This is a favorite song. I, you know, I find it interesting in our um, hymn books. There are so many wonderful songs, but we only sing a few. Every church tends to have its cherished songs. There's one church I served. We, uh, the one who led our music. They were retired uh, seminary professors, music professors from Brazil. And they actually made it a goal in the course of two years to sing every song in the hymn book. But that is the only time that has ever happened. That uh, was that I have sung in a church. But anyway, the basic point is what this note is saying is this song is precious. Th- th- this song is one that needs to be sung often. Huh. Matter of fact, as we read on, he says uh, he gives us the tune, and he says it's of David, a miktum, which means a carving. In other words, this is the kind of song you ought to be able to carve somewhere so that you have it. And notice the setting of when he wrote this song. When the Philistines had seized him in Gath. Gath was the hometown of a guy named Goliath. Evidently, David figured, you know, he's on the run. Saul's trying to... Take his life. And uh, he must have thought. Well the one place. He wouldn't look for me. Is. In the hometown of Goliath. And so that's where he ended up. Somewhere on the way as we read in the scripture. He stopped and he talked to a priest. And he said. Do you have any kind of weapon that I could use? And according to the scriptures. The weapon he ended up with. Was the very sword of Goliath. So now picture this. Here. Here. Here is a guy on the run. He's stressed out as the king and his men are wanting to take his very life. He ends up in the enemy territory of their warrior who he defeated. And he's bringing that warrior who is a hero, a legendary hero in that land. He's carrying his sword. So he's a marked guy. They're ready to take his life. And so we're going to get him now. We've been waiting for years. And the scripture tells us the way he dealt with that was he pretended to be insane. He just acted like he was So, for a period of time. This is a dark time. In the life of David, when he wrote these words that we can obviously... Lean upon. So i bring out the point that in trusting God, sometimes the emotions do not want to cooperate. One commentator had mentioned when his kids were real small, they would stand at the top of the stairs and jump into his arms. And he said, of course, they'd get that look on their faces right before they jumped. Is this really a good idea? And then they would jump, and the commentator said, and, you know, most of the time I called them. That that may be why they need therapy now. (laughs) Really, he's just kidding. Uh, But the point is, when you jump, and you think, is he going to catch me? This is where David was. And this is a question that he asked. Is God going to catch me? Spurgeon wrote on this passage, David was no braggart. He does not claim never to be afraid. Evidently, it is possible for fear and faith to occupy the mind at the same time. But blessed is the fear that drives us to faith. Verse 4, he says, Well, what can man do to me? Well, then he goes on and he kind of lists uh, some ideas that he has that could happen to him. <laughs> they twist his words all day long. They're looking for ways to plot harm upon him. They conspire. They, they lurk in order to attack him. And that word lurk is actually the word picture of a dog on the hunt that is panting with the tongue hanging down as he's on search, in search of being able to catch game. That is the the picture that's here. and I want to look at some principles here uh, that we find in our bulletin. Three principles. First, God's word is consistently appropriate for every trouble. Look at verse 4. It says, In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? And remember at this point, David didn't have... The 66 books of the Bible that we enjoy. He basically had those first five books. uh, You know, and at least half of those we have trouble reading. (laughs) Hard to find much in there between all the begats and the different names uh, uh, in history. Uh, But but David said, hey, this is where I find my hope. There is hope there. There is strength there in the Word. I love it as it says in Psalm 19 that uh, it's more precious than gold than much fine gold and sweeter than honey and honey from the comb and, and there is hope in the word and uh, Psalm 119 the longest chapter in the whole Bible in every verse deals with God's word and uh, you guys have heard a bunch of them uh, for example I do this to you guys about every Sunday night but uh, Psalm 119 105 does anybody know that verse? Psalm, Psalm 119, 105. Anybody want to take a stab at it? I want to give you a huge clue. Do you like huge clues? Amy Grant sang a song. Well, <laughs> let me give you the first word. Thy. A light unto my path. That's Psalm 119, 105. Thank you, Lisa. (laughs) God's Word is a guide to get us through there. Principle number two. God is consciously aware of every trail. Uh, Now, first off, you would think, you mean trial? No, I I mean trail. Uh, Look at verse 8 here. In this translation, it says, record my lament. Yet in many other of the translations, uh, it, there is a picture of a wandering trail. That God carries you through that wandering trail. I, I think often of James Dobson's words that you can trust him when you can't trace him. And there are many times where we have a sense of just chaos. What do I do, God? Um you know help me i'm at wit's end and there's this sense of rejection and deep grief and and then I be like it says it says lament which is just a deep personal picture of dejection i love uh, comics comic strips and you guys uh, one of my favorites is family circle and it's been around for over 60 years sold more than 13 million copies I mean, that's a lot of copies. And I especially like one of the panels where uh, the little boy Billy, he's sent by his mom to pick up something from the store. And then it shows his, it has uh, little dotted trails of where Billy went. And I mean, he went everywhere. He went through different neighborhoods, he went through different playgrounds, he went through the whole community. And by the time he finished, I mean, it, it showed him he went up and down a tree, over a fence. He petted a dog. He kicked a cat. Uh, well, no, he didn't do that. Uh, he, he ran through the park. He he, he was hopping on a swing. He, he watched men work on the street. And finally, he gets back home and he tells his mother, I forgot where I was supposed to go. As he was in the midst of going everywhere. No matter where you are, what, no matter what trail you take, God knows it. God is aware of where you are. This brings to principle number three. He is compassionately attentive to every tear. Look here again at verse 8. Record my lament, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? The picture of here is of an ancient practice of the day of these bottles who had a, that had a long neck that you could put up to your eye to collect tears. Matter of fact, um, in history, there are examples of Roman soldiers' wives who would have their tear bottles. And when the Roman soldier came home, uh, there was a great joy in finding a full tear bottle. And, well, there was some family fights that went on. If it was empty... Uh, But the picture here, oftentimes at funerals where these bottles were held close to catch the tears. And so the Hebrew picture um, that is shown here is not people collecting the tears. It's God collecting our tears. God not missing any of the tears. He knows when you cry. He knows when you're sad. He has a record of it. He doesn't miss any tears. Reminds us of uh, Revelation 21 4, doesn't it? Where God promises He will wipe every tear from our eyes. That there is a God that is that personal, a God that we can praise. Look here in verse 90. It says, then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I know that God is for me. Of course, remember what uh, it says in uh, Romans 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? Right? It's always such a beautiful thought that God is for me. Little old me. Little old nuthead me. And. uh, Jerry. <laughs> it's true though. It's true. I ain't good. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to argue with you. But what a joy to know that God is for us. Uh, down in verse 13. He says. You've delivered me from death. And my feet from stumbling. That I may walk before God. In the light of life. Now no matter what the deepest darkest days are. God is there. Uh, we heard this week, and, and even shared again on Wednesday night. And I haven't even heard the update. The pastor at Saltville Baptist Church, his wife has pancreatic cancer, and she um, the very last stages. I, I should have checked. I didn't check uh, to see if she's in glory now, eternity. But uh, Rob Moore at the Associational Meeting had read to us from an email. I want to read to you from the email. I put it in my notes. Rob had written. He said, please pray for Scott Schreifer, the pastor, Sopel Baptist, his wife, BJ, and their family. BJ's been battling pancreatic cancer. Here's his post. BJ is resting in no pain and in perfect peace. She told me earlier today she will be with her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in a little while. God has been so merciful to his child. Her request is that no one question or blame God. Also, unless you make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, you will never see her again. I can tell you that I am looking into the face of someone who knows where her eternal home is. That is the hope we all have no matter what we face, we do not do it alone. And no matter how bleak it is here, what awaits us is his glory there. It is an awesome hope for all of us. Um, I close with a story. Uh, William Frey, who was an undergraduate at the University of Colorado in 1951, spent a couple of hours a week tutoring a student and specifically reading aloud uh, from the textbook to the student because he was blind. <laughs> he couldn't read for himself. Um, he, he asked him, he said, how did you lose your sight? And he spoke about an accident that happened when he was young. And then he told the story. I'm just going to read uh, from this uh, stu- uh, student as he tells the story. When the accident happened, and I knew that I would never see again, I felt that life had ended as far as I was concerned. I was bitter and angry with God for letting this happen, and I took my anger out on everyone around me. I felt that since I had no future, I would not lift a finger on my behalf, let others wait on me. I shut my bedroom door and refused to come out except for meals. William Frey writes, the young man I knew was an eager college student, so I had to ask what had changed his attitude. And and the young man went on. One day, my father came into my room and said he was tired of my feeling sorry for myself. He said winter was coming, and it was always my job to put up the storm windows, and I was to get those windows up by supper time tonight or else. He slammed the door on the way out. Well, John said, That made me so angry, I resolved to do it. Muttering to myself, I groped my way out to the garage, found the windows, the step ladder, all the necessary tools, and went to work. They'll be sorry when I fall off the ladder and break my neck, I thought. But little by little, groping my way around the house, I got the job done. Then he stopped and his sightless eyes misted up as he told me. I later discovered that at no time during the afternoon had my father ever been more than five feet from my side. I did not know it until later, but all the while I was climbing up and down the ladder, muttering to myself, fumbling with the tools and sweating my way through that horrendous project in the dark, my father had been beside me all the way. And he's beside you. No matter where you are. He's beside you. I close with this uh, hymn. From John Rippon. Fear not. I am with thee. Be not dismayed. For I am thy God. I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee. Help thee. And cause thee to stand. Upheld by my gracious. Omnipotent hand. The soul that on Jesus hath leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Let's pray. Father, how good to know that you have promised to never forsake us, Lord. Do not leave us. And Father, may we take a good, steady drink of that wonderful truth and realize that you are the living water. And to drink from the living water is to have that thirst quenched, Lord. You know where we are, you know what we need, and we just lean upon you. Dear Daddy, Abba, Father, may you be the comfort that we so desperately long for. And I shouldn't even ask it that way, Lord, because you are that. Help me see that. Help us all see that, Lord, that we are not orphans. We are part of the family through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And So as we sing, may we sing to you as we Father, prepare to close. May we in worship recognize you as the one true God of compassion who has not deserted us but is there with us the whole time. In Christ's name.